I had my mask on and my son, who's one of the elders here at Capital City, he comes up and he says, you know, this place has looked a whole lot better since your face is covered. I don't like my son. <laughs> so let's just kind of play for a moment. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, let's just say Jesus really was God. So let's say Jesus really did know virtually everything. He knew everything about everybody. You could see right through your masks. And because he was God, Jesus had the power to do these amazing miracles. He could heal the sick, control the weather, cast out demons, even raise the dead. So <clears throat> let's say Jesus knew virtually everything and could do virtually anything. Now, switch it up. Let's say you could be Jesus for a day, a week, or a month. So you could see through everybody's masks. You know all their secrets, all of our secrets. And let's say you could control the weather, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and pretty much do anything else you wanted to do. What would you do? What would you do for that day, that week, that month? How would you do Jesus? And afterwards, as your family and your friends kind of looked back at who you were and what you've done, what would they think about you and what you've done? Would they assess that you have done Jesus well? How will people remember you? It's kind of an interesting question because how do they remember Jesus? What do, you, what do you remember about him? What do you think about him? What do you know about him? Because we know about what they remembered, what they passed on. Have you ever wondered what Jesus looked like physically? What he looked like physically? I mean, we've got all different kinds of pictures of Jesus, don't we? I mean, most of us grew up thinking Jesus looked something like this. You know how now? Because he was on our wall at our house, right? And he looked like that. He was on the wall of our churches, and he looked something like that. You know, gentle, peaceful, serene, white. Or maybe, maybe you picture Jesus hugging a little girl or maybe even cuddling a lamb. Those are sweet. We like those kind of pictures, right? He's safe, gentle, tame. Or some people like to picture Jesus laughing or with a smile on his face. That one on the left was one of my favorites growing up. And this one on the right, I kind of like it because I kind of like to picture Jesus laughing a lot. I don't know if you do. Recently, these have fascinated me. I've seen a lot of pictures of a ripped Jesus, CrossFit Jesus. They're kind of fun, aren't they? And you can just hear Jesus saying it, can't you? I'll be back, right? And there are other pictures. Sometimes these surprise us. Maybe they shouldn't. Why wouldn't blacks picture Jesus as black? Orientals picture Jesus as oriental because we Caucasians tend to picture Jesus as white, right? Now it's this next picture I think that fascinates me the most. It was first published in December 2002 in the December issue of Popular Mechanics, believe it or not. It was actually reprinted this year in April because it's one of their most famous stories ever. Popular Mechanics had a bunch of forensic anthropologists reconstruct what they thought Jesus might have looked like based on all the historical evidence, evidence we have on what a carpenter might have looked like in Israel about 2,000 years ago. 
And this is what they came up with. About five foot one, pretty short for today. About 110 pounds, about half of me. Muscular, fit. They figured his skin was darker, weathered, making him look older to us. What'd you think if they posted that picture on your church wall, right? How's that going to go over? What fascinates me is that we really have no reliable information at all about what Jesus looked like, other than the fact that apparently it was nothing special. None of his friends or none of his enemies thought it important to pass that kind of information on to us. It's not what they remembered. It's not what Jesus looked like to them. It's not what captivated people about Jesus. Now, we do know a lot of things that did captivate them, that they passed on to us. We know quite a lot about the kinds of things that he did, the healings, the exorcisms, his power over nature, his raising the dead, this extra human stuff that recorded a lot of that stuff. And we know quite a lot about the kinds of things that he said and the authority that he claimed. Jesus actually claimed to speak with the authority of God, go figure. And we have multiple accounts of his words. And we know quite a lot about the kinds of people who were around him, who were drawn to him, and the kinds of people who hated him. And that stuff's weird. Because people who tend to push us away as Jesus' followers... They like Jesus. How does that work? And religious people like us didn't seem to like Jesus very much. All kind of seems backwards. <laughs> Bottom line, when we wonder what Jesus was like, we tend to fixate on this question. Was he really God? Was Jesus really God? Was he the creator God in a body? And let's say he was. If Jesus really was God, could he actually have been completely human too? How would that work? 100% human, 100% God. It would seem like one would negate the other, wouldn't it? And even though, even though those around Jesus wanted to know that stuff too, that didn't seem to be the part of Jesus that captivated their hearts. What captivated their hearts most, what they remembered most vividly about Jesus was that he was both 100% truth and 100% grace. And they found this even more mind-blowing, more heart-rendering than Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Apostle John put it like this. He said, the word of God, the word of God, God became a human being. Go figure. And full of grace and full of truth, full of grace and truth both, he lived among us and we saw his glory with our own eyes. Now, which is harder for you? The idea that Jesus is fully God and fully human or the idea that he's full of grace and he's full of truth? You see, I think this is even more mind-bending. That God is, that Jesus is both God and man captures the mind, that he was both grace and truth, captivates the heart. So let's look deeper. God and man, God or man, was he both? How does it work? And how, 
Could it work? I mean, in a lot of ways, Jesus actually didn't look like God. If you were going to picture God, would you put that up on your wall? Looks very human to us, so like us. Can you actually imagine a God who would get tired? Eyes start to droop, head starts to nod, nod like some of you guys do in church sometimes, right? Can you imagine a real God, a real God, not a DC God or a Marvel Universe God, but a real God whose stomach is going to growl as if a God would get hungry? Gods don't need food like we do. Can you imagine a God with skinned knees who might trip and fall and scratch his knees up and blood would come out? A God who bleeds? Can you imagine a God who needs a shave? A God who needs a bathroom. A God with a belly button. How could an eternal God need a belly button? In reality, I think the two most deceptive moments of Jesus, the most deceptive moments of Jesus were these. The second most deceptive moment when he was in Mary's arms covered with afterbirth, drawing his first breath, cold, helpless, crying, maybe, Gods aren't born, they just are. And I think his most deceptive moment is when he's hanging dead on a cross because gods don't die. It's kind of the ultimate test, isn't it, it would seem? Wouldn't the cross prove that Jesus is fully human? And yet, what human could do the kind of things that Jesus did with the ease with which he did them? I mean, if the Bible stories are true and there's powerful historical evidences that they are, Jesus would heal people, not with incantations, fancy rituals. He'd just say a word, be healed, and they were like that. He'd tell the winds to hush. What human can tell the winds to hush and they would like that? It's not human. Cast out demons. Some people don't even believe in demons. He cast them out. No holy water, crosses, rituals, anything like that. He'd say, get out, and they'd go. Jesus raised the dead, and I'm not talking about people who were mostly dead or just recently dead. I'm talking about in the grave, stinking dead. No human can do that. And here's the clincher. Jesus predicts his own death in detail, which is not extraordinary. I think that couldn't be done. Then he predicts his own resurrection in detail, and he pulls it off. Guys, if a person can predict his own resurrection and pull it off, you might want to follow him. So the disciples came to the conclusion, he really is 100% human and 100% God. Doesn't make sense, doesn't fit into these tiny little brains, but we're talking about God, and I wouldn't expect God to fit in these tiny little brains. So what was Jesus like? Well, fully God, fully man. Not 50, 50, 60, 40, 75, 25. 100% God, 100% man at the same time. How amazing is that? It awed them, it dazzled them. But I'm not sure that's what captivated their hearts. Word of God said the word, Jesus, became a human, God and man. 
And full of grace and truth. He was both full of grace and he was full of truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. He lived among us and we saw his glory. And that was mind-blowing. We understand a God of truth. And we can understand a God of grace. But a God of both truth and grace without equivocating on either one, that's going to rip your heart out. Let me show you. Sometimes, perfectly honest, sometimes I'm not sure that I would be comfortable being around Jesus too close. Because, I mean, what would it be like to be sitting next to you or across the table from you when they could see through every single one of your masks? No secrets at all. I mean, every one of us has secrets, right? Things inside us we hope that others never see. Sometimes they're embarrassing. Sometimes they're just simply awful. Well, what would it be like to sit across from someone from whom you could hide nothing, nothing, and they wouldn't buy any of your excuses, any of your rationalizations, any of your justifications. He just knows you inside and out. According to the Apostle John, who probably knew Jesus better than any other person. That's who Jesus was. It's how he was. John says he knew them all. He knew them all. There was no need for anyone to tell Jesus about them because he himself knew what was in their hearts. So he'd sit across from you and he would know you and he would know what was in your hearts. The message puts it like this. Jesus knew them inside and out. He didn't need any help in seeing right through them. That'd be hard to be around for you. I like my masks. One guy, a preacher named Haddon Robinson, used to say this. He said, if these people knew about me what you know about me, God, they wouldn't listen to a word I say. He's right. Jesus knows. How does that work? About 100 years ago, a guy named Rudolf Otto wrote a book called The Idea of the Holy. And he was trying to explore what it felt like to be in the actual presence of God. So you sense the presence of God because there are stories through history of people who felt like they had been in the actual presence of God and the stories have these commonalities. It said that you feel like you're in the presence of something supernatural, supernatural, mysterious, uncanny, eerie. His very presence just melts your bones. And then you sense this overwhelming power, literally overwhelming power. You'd have a better chance as an ant stopping a bulldozer than a human resisting God. And then you sense his holiness, this perfect holiness, this absolute purity, so pure that everything about you that is impure just seems like it's on display. And people describe it as terrifying unmasking. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he wanted to curl up into a ball and die. He says, it's over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live in the middle of a people with filthy lips and I have seen the king. I've seen the Lord. It's terrifying. And yet there was something else they felt. (laughs) There was a fascination with God. There was almost an intoxication with his presence. You know why? Because alongside the power and alongside the purity, they sensed grace. Alongside his truth, 
they sensed grace. This all-powerful, all-loving God loves me. Rudolf Otto called it the Mysterium Tremendum et Fascinans, the terrifying, fascinating mystery, terrifying and fascinating mystery of the presence of God. You ever felt a taste of that? I think I have. At some point in your life, I sense that you will, a sense of the all-powerful, all-holy, gracious presence of our God. Guys, I think some of that leaked out in Jesus, and it blew them away, which is why the apostle John, the one who knew him best, said, God became a human being. God became a man, and he was full of grace, and he was full of truth, and he lived among us, and we saw his glory with our own eyes. (coughs) Excuse me, a God of truth we can get. A God of grace we can get. Both. 100% truth, 100% grace. I'm telling you guys, in a world that is grace-starved and in a world that is truth-starved, Jesus intrigues us, compels us, dazzles us, and confounds us, just like it did them. I mean, either one by itself would be dazzling, but to be both. And I think grace and truth is even more confounding than God and man. We can't pull it off on our own. People either tend to be heavy on truth and weak on grace or grace or heavy on grace and weak on truth. Church is the same, right? They're either heavy on truth and weak on grace or heavy on grace and weak on truth. You've seen it. You ever been around a Jesus follower who's heavy on truth and light on grace? Maybe a church that that way, they kind of want to beat you over the head with God's truth. The Bible is their sword of the spirit and they love stabbing you with it, Right? All judgmental-like. Their mission from God is to call out sin. And they love doing it. They're all excited about hell for those who push back. Or have you been around Jesus followers who are heavy on grace and weak on truth? Hmm. Try to be so loving, sensitive, tolerant. In fact, they struggle even to call sin, sin. There are Jesus followers like that. There are churches like that. It's going to be okay. God loves you just the way that you are. But their mission from God seems to be to be tolerant of nearly anything. They refuse to call sin out, even though sin is destroying God's children. Listen, guys, listen. Truth without grace is not God's truth. In fact, if you cannot speak truth with grace... Please shut up, right? Because you're going to do more harm than good. You're going to drive people away from our God. And listen to this. Grace without truth is not real grace. If someone is sinning against God, it's not grace to tell them it'll all be okay. You become an enabler of that which is destroying them. Jesus somehow got both, 100% truth, 100% grace, and Jesus fascinated them. Why is it that the kind of people who were repelled by us were so attracted to Jesus? (laughs) Not because he minced words, he never did, never softened the truth. 
He could see right through their masks and they knew it. He could see them inside and out. And yet people flocked to him and they invited him into their homes and invited them to their parties. They'd tear off a roof to get to him. Whether they were powerful or powerless, educated, those who had no use for school at all, the rich and the poor, the sick, the broken, the marginalized. And it wasn't because he excused their sin. He was 100% truth. He could see inside them and they knew it. And yet still in his eyes they saw grace. How would it feel like to be fully known You're across the table from someone who sees every secret that you have and what you see in his eyes is still grace. Mysterium tremendum et fascinance. The terrifying, fascinating mystery of the presence of God. Have you ever felt it? Word of God became a human being fully human, fully God, and full of grace and truth, grace and truth. He lived among us, and we saw his glory with our own eyes. What was Jesus like? Fully human and fully God. Fully gracious, fully truthful. And in the end, Jesus was hounded by the religious leaders, betrayed by a friend, forsaken by his disciples, brutalized by the police, beaten by his inquisitors, and led in disgrace to a rigged trial, all right? And there, arrogant men, men sat in judgment over him, they thought. Crowning him with thorns and mocking him, they beat him without mercy and nailed him to a cross, the worst death they could give him. Stretching him out between two thieves, fitting, they thought, where he was miserably thirsty, seemingly forsaken by God, a picture of complete aloneness. Hell on earth, not just one man's hell, but the hell of billions. At any moment, Jesus, who was fully God, could have called on an army of angels to deliver him and destroy his enemies. (laughs) It would have only taken one. Instead, he accepted the scars of sin and rebellion and mockery and hatred, the scars of grace. He took our scars. He took the hell he didn't deserve so we could have the heaven we don't deserve. Right? He took the hell he didn't deserve so we could have the heaven we don't deserve. So guys... If you are not stunned by grace, you don't get it or what it cost him. And guys, grace doesn't diminish our sin. It doesn't diminish our depravity. It throws a spotlight on it. Grace is not about God lowering his standards. It's about his paying the price so we don't have to. We need real grace because we face real truth. The real truth is we are not sick in our sins, we're dead in them. Jesus didn't die in order to make sick people well. He died to help dead people live. Word of God, God became a man, fully God, fully human and full of grace and truth. He lived among us and we saw his glory.
with our own eyes. <laughs> Which is why those who push us away so often are so drawn to the real Jesus. So, so what? I mean, two weeks ago, we talked about why do I care? Why do you care? Why should they care, right? It's like we're pretty obsessed with this Jesus. And it came down to this. The real Jesus made these outrageous promises. The kind of promises that if he could keep them, they would be worth anything to receive. He said, if you follow me, I'm going to give you a way better life in this world, and I'm going to give you an infinitely better life in the next. Well, what if? The real Jesus made some incredibly outrageous demands. He says, you're going to have to give up everything, absolutely everything, to follow me. I have to be first in everything in your life, which would be ludicrous, unless it was the path to his promises, and unless, and this one's the most outrageous, the real Jesus made the most outrageous claim conceivable. He claimed to be God, the only God, the real God, your creator. What if it's true? What if Jesus really is God? What if he can keep his promises of a way better life in this world and an infinitely better life in the next? And guys, we believe him. We care because we need Jesus. And we care because they need Jesus. Last week was about why did he come? Why did he come? Why would God take the form of a human, become one of us, and let us kill him? Why would the all-powerful, all-creator God go that low to even die for, well, the likes of you and me? And it boils down to this. What if God doesn't see you just as one of his creatures? What if he actually sees you as his kids? His kids. What if God loves you as much as you love your kids or your grandkids? Which is stupid because God actually loves your kids and your grandkids infinitely more than you do. And we want to think that we would do anything to protect our kids. We'd rescue them if they were in trouble. We'd like to think that we would risk our lives to save our kids. Well, our dad, our Abba, saw us, his kids, in serious trouble. You may not see it yet, but he does. And what great dad wouldn't die to protect, to rescue, to save his kids if that's what it takes? And that's why he came. And this week is about, well, what was he like? What was he like? Well, 100% God, 100% man. And even harder to comprehend for me anyway, 100% truth and 100% grace. But what difference does it make? How does that change who you are and how you live as Jesus followers? Well, first of all, it means that we need to take Jesus really seriously. If Jesus was just a man, then it wouldn't matter a hill of beans if you choose to just blow him off or reshape him into whatever kind of a fantasy God that you want to follow. But if Jesus really is 100% God and 100% man, we'd better follow him anywhere, wherever it takes us. But he was not just fully God and fully man. He's also grace and truth. And guys, that's going to change the way you do life with God. To be fully known 
He knows you completely. No masks, no secrets, and he loves you anyway. If that doesn't blow your socks off, you don't get it yet. It means that you can walk out of this place with peace with God, a peace that's inexplicable. You can walk out of this place with a profound hope of heaven. You can walk out of this place with a joy and a strength that makes no sense at a time like this when our world is an absolute mess. You can walk out of here with guilt and shame that you've been toting around, the guilt and shame that have been crushing you. You can walk out of here forgiven, free. You see, it's not just about a truth that we embrace. It's about a grace that we live in. But it's more than that. Because, guys, if we let him, if we cooperate, because he's going to let us resist him, God is going to try to morph you into the image of his son. And I'm not saying that he's going to try to make you look like this, right? Don't worry. He's going to try to shape your character. He's going to try to shape your heart so it's more like his, both full of truth and grace. He wants to give you a sense of purpose, a sense of clarity about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's not. He wants you to love each other and to love them with his kind of love. How are you doing with God's truth and with God's grace? Never compromising on the truth, but never speaking truth without grace. Because here's the deal, guys. Listen. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. That's why he came, to show us who God is and what he's about. But if people out there want to know what Jesus looked like, they should be able to get a glimpse of him by looking at us, which is why we allow God to morph us into the image of Christ, into the kind of people that we were made to be. If we fail the truth test, we fail to be Christ-like. If we fail the grace test, we fail to be Christ-like. <clears throat> and guys, a grace-starved truth-starved world needs Jesus and they need us to be the church let's pray Father for Jesus we give you thanks for who he was and what he did what he did for us we're so grateful We believe, Lord, that life starts when we do life with you, his way. And we believe in the hope that he gives us for an eternal life, infinitely better. And we ask, Lord, that you shape us. We want you to shape us into the image of Christ because we know that that is a life well lived. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.